continuing our series in 1 Timothy. Uh, so if you open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'll begin reading in verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says, All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they are to serve them even better because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you are to teach and urge on them. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I had difficulty coming up with a sermon title for this and I finally landed on a well-rounded Christian. This doesn't encompass the whole Christian life but certainly there are things here that would encompass a big part of the Christian life. And the first thing that Paul opens with is he's talking about slavery and people who are serving under a master should serve them well. And certainly in Bible times, slavery, a huge percentage of people were involved in slavery. And the interesting thing is they were well taken care of. They, uh, not so much maybe like in more recent times where slaves were abused, but they actually were part of the family and many of them were well taken care of. And the interesting thing here is we don't see Paul trying to do away with slavery. Now, it doesn't mean he totally supported it, but he understood that it was a big part of the economic of that day. And he saw that if he tried to undo that, that maybe the gospel would lose effect and they would blame the gospel for getting rid of that. And any time there's going to be a change in culture, Paul's saying it's not the slavery, it's not this and that, it's the gospel that changes the culture. And so to be a well-rounded Christian, he appeals to those who are serving under masters that they would serve them well. So we're basically going to look at three things this morning of a well-rounded Christian. The first one is in the opening couple verses, and that is we exhibit a strong work ethic. He says, all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. So how do we do this? How do we exhibit a strong work ethic? I think, first of all, we are conscientious about our work. 
We are diligent, we are dedicated, we are meticulous in our work. We show up for work on time, we're punctual, we're dependable, people can rely on us to do our work and do it well. We look for ways to improve our work, to make it more efficient, to accomplish more in less time. I went to investopedia.com and there was an article on why people miss work. And they talked about the cost and causes of absenteeism. They said absenteeism costs U.S. companies billions of dollars each year in lost productivity, wages, poor quality of goods, services, and excess time management. And then they gave some of the reasons why people miss work. Some of them are very legitimate reasons. And some of us have missed work for those reasons. Child care elder care, illness, injuries. They said some people miss work for job hunting because they have an interview for another job, so they miss their job. Bullying and harassment, burnout, stress, low morale, partial shifts where they arrive late and leave early, take long breaks, those kind of things. But then there were two other ones that seemed to be more tied to spiritual nature, depression. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, the leading cause of absenteeism in the United States is depression. And depression leads to substance abuse if people turn to drugs or alcohol to self-medicate their pain or their anxiety. And another one is disengagement. Employees who are not committed to their jobs, their co-workers, or their company they said are more likely to miss work because they have no motivation to go to work. And yet, God wants to communicate the gospel through every avenue of our work. See, I think God wants to be involved in the teaching industry, the education industry. He wants to be involved in the farming industry. He wants to be involved in the medical field. He wants to be involved in government and business and banking and insurance. God wants to be involved in all those avenues for the purpose of sharing the gospel, and guess how he does it? Through us, the workers. And so he's telling them, don't be a bad worker, because if you are a bad worker, you are a bad testimony for the gospel. Be a good worker for the purpose of promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be punctual, be on time, be dependable, be that conscientious worker that goes the extra mile. Why? For the purpose of the gospel. You may have a boss that is not a believer, that might not be very kind, but your kindness and your conscientiousness could have an impact in them coming to Christ and softening their heart. There was a, a young man named Joel Prusak. He was an employee with Dairy Queen. One day as he was serving the customers their food, he noticed a blind man dropped a $20 bill on the floor a lady was standing in line, quietly bent down, and put the $20 bill into her pocket. Young Joey Prusak approached the lady, asking her to give the $20 bill back to the blind man. She refused quite aggressively, claiming it was her own. And then Joey did something very generous. Quietly, he opened up his own wallet, and he pulled out a $20 bill, and he gave it to the blind man. He took the money gratefully and the Dairy Queen resumed normal business. 
A customer in line, however, observed the whole episode, and he sent an email to the Dairy Queen management, informing them of Joey's act of generosity. The Dairy Queen management then posted it on Facebook, and the event went viral. A couple days later, Joey received a call from the billionaire Warren Buffett, a big investor in Dairy Queen. He thanked Joey for showing such integrity and asked him to come to the next Dairy Queen investors meeting. As Joey was an employee and a representative of Dairy Queen, Buffett wanted him to be there as an integral part of the fabric of the organization. Joey's act of generosity inspired thousands of people to believe that they too could do something small to impact the world for good. It was a small act with a huge impact. And so it is with God. He takes our small acts of kindness and our obedience, our diligence and our work, and it becomes a witness for the gospel. That's what Paul was concerned about. That they, even if they were under harsh masters, he says, take the example of Jesus and follow in the footsteps of suffering for the purpose of the gospel. And the second aspect here is to be courteous. It's not moving forward. But if you're taking notes, to be courteous. It does not cost a lot to be courteous. There's a gentleness that is attached to a courteous person. There's an English one-liner that makes a lot of sense. It says this, a gentleman is one who uses the butter knife when he is alone. Now, what in the world does that mean? It means that who you are, really are is who you are when you're alone. That's what it really means. When no one is watching you, it indicates what kind of person you are. What kind of worker are you when the boss is not on the scene? Do you do your job diligently and to the best of your God-given ability? I remember one time a pastor, an evangelist, was actually uh, given an invitation to come to a college to give a talk, and when he arrived, they had accidentally double-booked or something, and he wasn't able to talk to the big college group, and he had to talk to a small group of choir boys, as it was. And he began to speak to those boys, and he shared the message that God put on his heart, and what he didn't know was the president of the college was right outside the door. And he heard him give his presentation. And he said, you know what? I want you to come back and speak to the entire school. Because he'd done such a wonderful job with his message. But courteous, being a courteous person, speaking to your boss and about your boss and your coworkers with respect, that your conversation is couched in kindness, you're pleasant and enjoyable to be around. You ever be around a coworker you wish like you, they weren't around? <laughs> Hopefully it wouldn't be me. Um, there are certain people that are difficult to be around. A wise man speaks. Plato said this, a wise man speaks because he has something to say, a fool because he has to say something. <laughs> I thought, boy, how true that is. And all of us could probably raise our hands at times and say, we've been around people that, you know, when you're in the grocery store and they're in the bread aisle, you want to be in the soup aisle. You know, you just, 
you want to avoid them because you know they're going to dominate you, they're going to they're talk, they're going to be negative, they're going to be critical, they're going to be this, they're going to be that. And they never stop. And as soon as they take a breath, you try to get out of there. <laughs> so we need to demonstrate a godly attitude in our relationship with our boss and va- value the relationship I don't take my theology from Frank Zappa. Of course, he's passed away, but he was a, an American musician. But he actually had it right when he came down to character. He said, you are what you is. <laughs> you are what you is. It was a song. And he said, do you know what you are? You are what you is. You is what you am. A cow don't make ham. He was right about that. You ain't what you're not, so see what you got. You are what you is, and that's all it is. <laughs> and I thought that is really true. We are what we is. Aristotle said we are what we repeatedly do, and somebody else said you are what you tweet. <laughs> it's an interesting concept. But the whole idea is this, it's not what we do that determines who we are, it's who we are that determines what we do. So if we are a believer in Jesus Christ, and I'm in the farming or medical or education or whatever field I'm in, I'm a Christian who wants to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to communicate that to people and take that opportunity. When is the last time you prayed about that? that God would give you that opportunity, you take that opportunity to share the gospel uh, with them. In Ephesians 6, 5, it says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. And then he gives, oh, let me give you this uh, by Haltrick Zwingli, who was during the Reformation era. He said, our confidence in Christ does not make us lazy, negligent, or careless. But on the contrary, it awakens us, urges us on, and makes us active in living righteous lives and doing good. There is no self-confidence to compare with this. Our confidence in Christ makes us want to live righteously and not be negligent or lazy. Somehow there was another slide, I think, that I don't know where it went. It must have missed it. Uh, The third thing here, and it's not on there, is the reason. There should be a slide that says the reason. um, So that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. The reason we put forth the gospel, the reason we put forth a work effort, is so that God's name is not slandered. Because what we do is attached to God's name. How I behave is attached to God's name. And what I do and what I say is attached to God's name. God's name is to be feared. He says in Colossians 3.22, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Why? So that God's name is not drugged through the mud. 
Romans 2.24, for it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. He's saying that God's name was blasphemed because of their attitude and their behavior. God's character, his nature and attributes are slandered when we do not behave like godly people. And when we don't behave like godly people, here's what happens. God's love is misunderstood. If I fail to be courteous and loving, God's love is misunderstood. If I operate with a lack of integrity, God's holiness is mocked. If I practice deceit and deception, God's truth is maligned. And if I speak to others with hateful and condemning speech, God's kindness is marred. So you see, it all reflects on the character of God. What I do reflects on the character of God, how I operate in my job and in my work. And he goes on to say, even if you have a believing master, a boss, you should even serve him even better and harder. Not say, well, you know, it's better to ask forgiveness than permission or, you know, what people say. And, um, no, we should be serving even harder. Uh, to honor the Lord. God's character can be revealed to a person by how I treat them. And I'll tell you why that's true. Because too often people in the world develop their doctrine and set of beliefs from their experiences more than God's word. And so they watch and they go through these experiences and some people have been deeply hurt from relationships and because they've been deeply hurt, their view of God is skewed. And it needs to be corrected. People decide what they believe based on what they see and feel rather than on the truth. Our testimony at work is a reflection of our relationship with God. The second thing we need to be concerned about to be a well-rounded Christian is he expounds a serious indictment of false teachers. We need to recognize false teachers and we need to be willing to call them out when it's necessary because their minds, their motives, and their mouths are corrupt. That's basically what Paul says here in the next several verses, beginning in verse 3. Notice he says, If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ and the godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction because men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. So the first thing is, is their minds. Uh, their minds are ignorant and arrogant. They don't understand anything. They operate according to their own intellect. And the Bible tells us that unbelievers have been blinded by the God of this world. The God of this world has blinded them. That's why their minds are ignorant and arrogant. They're confident in their own knowledge, and they spout off about what they know, and they're puffed up with that knowledge. Secondly, their motives are material. They want material gain. Look down again in verse 5. Constant friction, 
between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. The only reason they're in the business of teaching and trying to promote their agenda is for financial gain. That's why they do what they do. They've been spiritually blinded by the God of this world. And he says that they have an unhealthy interest in controversies. This tells us that they have sick desires. They take great delight in arguments and disputes. They love to dialogue over issues. They enjoy word battles and verbal quibbles. They enjoy controversy. And I have talked to people who embrace false teaching, and that's exactly what they do. They split hairs over every little thing. And their, their spirit is legalistic and prideful and arrogant, just like the Bible says. They enjoy controversy. And yet the Bible tells us in Titus 3.9, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. He says don't have anything to do with controversies. They breed quarrels. They also desire what others possess. They are full of jealousy and envy, and they hold grudges against people because they have something that they want. They have evil suspicions, and so their motives are absolutely evil. There's a lot of charlatans out there who just want the money, and they do what they do to get ahead financially. Paul says, watch out for those kind of people, Timothy. They're coming in, even into the church in Ephesus. He says, you need to denounce them. Their mouths as well. They teach error, false doctrine. False doctrine, the word here is heterodoxy. We have orthodoxy, which is true and right and correct, and you have heterodoxy, which is different. It's a different teaching. It's a different gospel. It's a different doctrine. And he's saying they're teaching this heterodoxy instead of orthodoxy, different than the sound instruction of what Christ taught. It did not line up with the truth of Scripture. And Paul even says back in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, if you look back there, it says, The sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to what? Sound doctrine. He's saying that all those lifestyles are contrary to sound doctrine that God has given us in his word. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That's there, and also Titus 1.9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Unfortunately, in our day, there's constantly attacks against God's word and people trying to bring in new teaching and something that sounds different and it's going to be better and it's going to be greater and we need to stick to the teaching of God's word. If we're going to be a well-rounded Christian, we have to stick to the teaching of God's word and sound doctrine. We have to be a diligent worker in our job. Uh, John Huss, um, 
was born in the 14th century. He was even prior to the Reformation. Here's what he said. Therefore, faithful Christian, seek the truth, listen to the truth, learn the truth, love the truth, tell the truth, defend the truth, even to death. His commitment to the truth was so vital. These false teachers also cause strife. They cause confusion. They cause disunity in the body of Christ. They engage in malicious talk, abusive speech. They verbally assault people and insult people and slander people. There's constant friction and irritation in what they do. We need to live the truth to be a well-rounded Christian. And then the third thing is that we enjoy a simple walk with Christ. That's what he's saying. Don't get caught up in all the materialistic world. Don't get caught up in the wars at work and the political agenda at work. Enjoy a simple walk with Christ. He says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. We came into the world naked and we're going out of the world naked. That's what he's saying. We came in without possessions, we're going out without possessions. We actually die possessionless. Say, wait a minute, no, I got a house and I got, but it's not yours when you're dead. (laughs) It's somebody else's. We die possessionless. And therefore, we shouldn't be worried about grasping all these things. He's saying, enjoy a simple walk with Christ. Paul says in Philippians 4, 7, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. What a statement. To be content whatever the circumstances. I can tell you many times in my life I have not been content. (laughs) Too many to count. And yet Paul says, I have learned in whatever the circumstances, I'm content. Why? Because I'm focused on Christ, and the more I focus on Christ, the more content I become. The more I focus on Christ in my work and in my job and what God has called me to do, the more content I have. The more content I become, the more I focus on Christ. It's a simple life. Instead of getting my eyes onto what this person has and what that person has and what I don't have, and I focus on Christ, it becomes a simple walk. Not easy, but simple. Christ's sufficiency, then, not self-sufficiency. He says, we brought nothing into the world. There's no self-sufficiency in that. When we were born, and we'll take nothing with us. Job said it, didn't he? Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. Rock of Ages, the song Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked look to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. How do we get that simple walk? How do we get that contentment? Surrender. Surrender. I surrender my will to God's will. I surrender my desires for God's desires. I surrender my plans for His plans. Surrender. 
is the answer. The believer freely surrenders his life to Christ. Why? Because I, when, I, when I come to that point of surrender, I realize that God is so wise and he is so good. Why wouldn't I surrender? Has he ever done wrong? Has he ever done me wrong? And I trust him to dispose his grace daily to meet my needs. He's that kind of God. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. William Wilberforce was very instrumental in abolishing slavery in his day. He made a, a, a statement that I want to read to you as you think about the message. Here's what he said. May God enable me to have a single eye and a simple heart desiring to please God, to do good to my fellow creatures, and testify my gratitude to my adorable Redeemer. That is a heart of contentment. When you have a single eye and a simple heart desiring to please God. Let me ask you a question. How are you doing in your career? Are you using it as a vehicle for the gospel? Are you a walking billboard for the gospel, sharing, taking the opportunity? How are you trying to build bridges with those outside the faith through your work ethic and building bridges so that you can share the gospel with them? How are you consciously praying about that? And then as you come across false teaching and false beliefs, which we do frequently in our world, you don't have to talk to somebody very long to find out what their worldview is and how it might be skewed and how we can challenge them with God's word. What about your contentment? To be a well-rounded Christian, are you content as Paul was he said, in all circumstances, I learned to be content. And I think it is a process. Paul was hungry. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was in prison. He was stoned, left for dead. And yet he said, I learned in every situation how to be content. Not looking for the next thing that will bring peace but looking to the Prince of Peace. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? You cannot be this well-rounded person. You may have a work ethic. You may agree with the teaching of Scripture. You may say you have a heart of contentment. But is it, is it anchored in Christ? Is that where it's anchored? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and know him personally? to believe that he died on the cross for your sin.
shed his blood that you could be forgiven. If you don't know that, we would be glad to pray with you and share with you how you can have a personal relationship with Christ as we sang about this morning in Christ alone. For those of us who are believers, though, no matter what field you are in, God wants to use you for the furtherance of the gospel. Are you a good walking billboard for the gospel? Are you conscientious and are you courteous in what you do? What about your contentment? Are you contentment in the place that God has put you? Discontentment leads to a lot of problems. When I want to be on the throne of my life, I will not be content. That's one thing I can guarantee you. If you are on the throne of your life, you are not content, at least not for long. It only comes through Christ. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.